when you really tap into what lights you up and you pursue that relentlessly, no matter what anyone says, that's how you light up the rest of the world. That's how you inspire others. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 50 of A Congruent Life. I'm your host, Andy Gray, and I'm honored to host these conversations and share some pretty amazing people with you. A Congruent Life is all about authenticity, and in particular, we share stories of reinvention, people who have the wherewithal to reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and go forward in a way that is more congruent for them. If you're interested in conscious living and adventure, one inspiring person that you can't help but cross paths with on the internet is Heather Thorkelson. Heather calls herself an architect of freedom works with individuals to carve their own path and conquer what she calls comparisonitis, and works with entrepreneurs to create successful, meaningful businesses that support their lives. Here's my conversation with Heather. I'm talking today to Heather Thorkelson, who runs a website called Republic of Freedom. Heather, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you very much for having me, Andy. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. You're doing a lot of great work, and in particular, my partner Maisie is really excited to work with you some, and she said, you absolutely have to have Heather on the show. So I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. Oh, that's awesome. I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off the conversation with blushing. That's great. <laughs> well, let's maybe just start. Uh, can you give our audience a quick introduction about who you are and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a location-independent entrepreneur. I specifically help people with strategizing around their small business. So uh, I help people who either have no business and are trying to start a business that's virtually based, uh, for the most part. Sometimes I work with people who actually have a physical location. Um, or I work with entrepreneurs who are sort of in the early stages and trying to figure out what the heck they should do and how they should do it or how they can streamline and that type of thing. So I, I essentially just help people with strategy in general. Um, and my sort of... Uh, Claim to fame, I suppose, is that I'm a successful location-independent entrepreneur. So um, I'm out having adventures in the world. I travel a lot. I don't only do business strategy. I do other things that I absolutely love. And um, that is very inspiring for people who want to sort of live life on their terms. So how did you get on this sort of location-independent track? When you were growing up, is that something that you envisioned yourself doing, living the kind of lifestyle that you are now? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I... I, I'm going to date myself here completely. <laughs> That's <laughs> because, totally fine. <laughs> makes me feel really old. <laughs> but when I was growing up, um, this type of living didn't exist. The options didn't exist. You know, I started university in 1996. And that was just sort of when, you know, like I got my first email address when I was 17. And it just wasn't sort of the common thing to do. So when I started, when, when I was young, I knew I wanted to live 
internationally or have the option to do so. Um, because I traveled a lot growing up as the daughter of an airline pilot. And then my family moved to Costa Rica when I was 14. So I lived and went to school in another country. I was exposed to a lot of other cultures. And I couldn't shake that from my system. But I, I didn't I had no idea how that was going to play out professionally for me. And I always imagined that I'd end up working in development, you know, like doing, getting paid nothing, and like working in Africa, like, you know, in some small village or something like that, because I, I also knew that I wanted meaning in my work. Um, so I studied international relations at university and then never ended up doing anything like that. But I did work internationally in different capacities. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, like almost 15 years after I graduated from university that that I really saw the possibility for myself of running a virtual business um, because the, the it started to exist, you know, this, the infrastructure and, and that kind of thing started to exist and I just kind of went with it. So your goal was more about living this kind of lifestyle than the specific work that you wanted to do and, and along the way you discovered the kind of work that you could do to support that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, and it's not even that I wanted to travel all the time, like, it's not like I ever wanted to live out of a backpack per se. I love having a home base. I love being steeped in one location and steeped in one particular culture for a long period of time. But I also always feel the need to be able to move. Like if I want to get up and go somewhere or if I want to, you know, do something, I hate the idea of someone else telling me, no, you can't, or you have to wait until your two weeks of vacation per year are, you know, are valid for this year. And then you can apply for permission to go like that just seems to me like crazy pants. So I, I never liked the constraints of a sort of traditional working environment. And, and to be able to move to get on a plane next week, if I feel like it is really, really, really important to me. So that was the the first piece that sort of led me to to reverse engineer my living. But the second piece is that I really need to be of service to people. That's a huge value of mine. And if I'm not helping people, I don't see the point in working. Like, I don't even see the point in making money. You know, that's not what makes me happy. So, um, so that that's why I always thought I would work in development or some really poorly paying kind of bleeding heart job because I wanted to actually make a difference, you know, like any sort of hippie child. <laughs> it might be a bit hard to draw a distinction without other frames of reference. But how would you say that growing up in Central America shaped your childhood and your life and the trajectory of your life? Mm, that's a very good question as well. Um, I think growing up in Central America and also just having traveled in South America quite a bit as a, as a young girl showed me how, how different the outside world is compared to the sort of little bubble that I grew up in in Canada. You know, it, it really exposed me to like ways of living and different sections of society and that kind of thing that I, I would have never seen otherwise. You know, like I saw extreme poverty at a very young age. I saw shanty towns in Brazil at a very young age. I saw, you know, people in Costa Rica as well. You know, just the, just the striation of society was so different. And so that that had a huge impact on me. Um, and also just learning new cultural things that was every day was kind of interesting. Every day there was a new surprise. So that also sort of is what got me addicted to wanting to experience more culture in more places. And then, of course, um, like my parents divorced when I was quite young. So when I moved to Costa Rica, I was only there with one parent and one of my sisters. And we were really left to our own devices a lot of the time. So I learned really, really young, like from the age of 14, 
I learned how to sort of get by <laughs> on my own steam and take care of myself and get myself up and go to school every day and feed myself and whatever in a country where I didn't even speak the language, um, which made me super resilient. Like I knew from that age that you could sort of dump me in any country and I'll be fine. So it gave me a lot of like built in courage for the decisions that I would make later in life. What an amazing bit of empowerment to experience, uh, particularly so young. You know, those teenage years are so challenging and trying to find your place in the world. But to have that sort of intrinsic sense of I can just I can do it. I can show up in whatever situation and be empowered to be self-sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to say that I wasn't terrified. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. like, like it's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy then per se, but it. And it never really is. I mean, I was very shy, too, which didn't help things, you know, and every time that I went outside of my comfort zone after that, you know, when I moved to Japan the first time, and then when I moved to Mexico, and then when I moved to South Africa, every time it was like my heart's in my throat, ooh, like, I'm, I'm gonna die on the corner here kind of thing, you know, but I, that's just my emotional response. It's not my logical, I know I'll be fine response, you know, so having that kind of like cerebral understanding that I'll always be okay is, is, has always been helpful because the fear never really totally goes away. Mm -hmm. How does that dovetail with the kind of work that you do with your clients? Or, or maybe let's uh, let's back up a little bit and can you describe the kind of work that you do with your clients? I'm, I'm really interested in how your life journey, you know, has supported and informed the work that you're doing today. Yeah, ooh, that's a really meaty question. <laughs> And we could break it down into whatever pieces you like. I know that is a really big question. Yeah, well, I mean, I call myself a small business strategist, or if you look on my website, I'm called architect of freedom and idea generator, <laughs> which sounds really highfalutin. But um, the, the I do feel like that. I mean, that 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 term architect of freedom came to me in, in, a, in a moment of inspiration. And while I do, while the concept of business strategy sells, what I do is something much more profound than that. So I work with clients around taking steps to build their business and their livelihood, like everything, not just their core business, but what does your entire livelihood look like? What are the different avenues by which you make a living? And then also, like, how is that all structured in order to set you up to thrive optimally? Because we often get stuck, you know, new entrepreneurs get stuck in the sort of hamster wheel of I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that, da, 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 da. I'm working 15 hour days, and I'm not making any money. And to me, that's completely ridiculous. It doesn't need to be that way. And so, you know, I, I've, I'm a certified life coach. And that's sort of the um, background to how I ended up in business strategy, because I started off as a life coach, and then moved, you know, sort of jumped ship and went into business strategy. But so much of what I do is um, based in life coaching skills. It's like, okay, let's pull back and talk about how, how do you want every day to look? How do you want every day to feel? What are the scenarios in which you thrive the most? And what do you need to make that happen? How does your work need to look and feel in order for you to wake up and feel energized by how you're spending each of your days and you're making a sustainable living doing it? You know, and it may sound really pie in the sky, like that's not achievable, it's not realistic, but that's not true. And I know that that's not true because I do it and I have many clients who I've helped do the same thing. So so it's really a combination of of that practical, foundational, hard business work and the psychological support and drive and courage 
that you need to make the decisions to make that happen. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes that makes really good sense. Uh, so what would be some of the challenges maybe that you experienced in in doing that for yourself? Well, I felt I fell down a lot of the holes that my clients fall down. <laughs> so like when I started out, you know, I thought that I had to do a lot of things, um, especially because, you know, most people who who are coming to me are people who work in their house on their computer, not communicating with other human beings and just reading a lot of stuff on the internet or taking a lot of courses that are telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, or reading tons of blog posts about optimizing SEO and things that aren't in in any way, shape or form part of their genius work. And then feeling really intimidated and thinking, well, I have to incorporate this and I don't have any extra time to do that. And that was me, you know, like I, a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff that I help people with is stuff that I, you know, like bridges that I crossed to get to where I am today. So lots of being stuck in those circles, that sort of that crazy downward spiral that that burns people out. Um, And then, of course, there's the psychological things, too. Although I think my advantage lies in the fact that a lot of the the really strong psychological resistance that new entrepreneurs have, um, I, I kind of got through a lot of that stuff long before I ever became an entrepreneur. You know, like understanding how to manage my fear and how to make decisions in the face of fear or, uh, you know, the resilience. And also, you know, I have a course called Kit Comparisonitis where, you know, I never realized when I started as an entrepreneur how huge that would be with my audience. It's absolutely massive, you know, and I got over my comparisonitis years ago. And so now I'm, you know, coming up on these clients who are coming to me and completely paralyzed, unable to make decisions and move forward, wanting to scrap entire projects or websites because they're comparing themselves to other people. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 this is okay. Let's take a step back and let's work through this first. So there's that too, you know, like, I think that anytime you work with people, you have to, in order to be legitimate, forget about what you learned in college or university or any kind of letters behind your name. If I'm going to help someone, I have to have crossed that bridge already in order to be able to help them cross the bridge as well. Period. End of story. You used a beautiful phrase in in that description when you said genius work. Can you Mm. talk a little bit about what you mean by that and, and how people can discover that? Yeah. Um, genius work. It's really just that stuff that, like is so second nature to you. It is such a, it's the thing that when you get into the flow, it happens so easily and so effortlessly. Um, it's that it's, it's, it's often what people are chasing, you know, I guess what writers need to, in order to access their, their best work, you know, they need to be in the right mindset and the right place and time. And then just the words flow out onto the page, you know, and, um, for everyone, obviously it's very different. My genius work happens when I'm working one-on-one with a client and I'm, I'm seeing this crazy sort of, uh, it's almost like, I don't know if you've seen that TV show Sherlock, but he go, what is it? He goes into his mind palace or something ridiculous like that. And he starts to see all the pieces of the mystery come together, you know? And for me, it's like that. I, I have a client who's talking and they, they say all these things and they have no idea they cannot see the connective tissue between all the things that they're saying and all i see is the connective tissue i see this like incredible mosaic of awesome that we then turn into something sort of tangible you know and so so genius your genius work it, it can be anything really and and it's so different from person to person but 
you know, you asked, what is it that, that can help people access that? And I think there's two things because it's so hard to put your thumb on. Uh, there's two things. One is what, what gives you the most energy? Like, where do you notice that you feel just so fired up? You could talk for 50 hours about it. Um, and or be in a conversation for just in like, you know, hours and hours and hours until the sun goes down about that thing, because you just know it inside and out. And the second thing is, um, how do I explain this? It, it's it's recognizing what's second nature to you. That's really, really hard for everybody else. You know, so I would give you again, the example of of comparing. I when I realized that I needed to create that course is when I saw everyone around me comparing themselves and being really, really affected by it psychologically. And I was like, what, what, why is that a problem? Like guys, come on, don't, you know, like, I, I, there was a huge gap between me and them. And then I was like, Oh, 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 this is, this is one of my zones of genius. I've, I figured this many of the pieces of this out. I need to help people with this. I need to actually create a course and guide them through this. So it's that. It's 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 uncovering those little gems. And it's almost never related to your primary work or even what you think that you're good at. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and boy, the comparison piece is, is, I think, really huge because we, we are sort of conditioned to you know, live our lives in comparison to others. There's always a reference point. How am I doing, you know, based mm-hmm. on societal expectation or culture or whatever. And mm-hmm. we, we get really caught up, I think, in this comparisonitis, as you call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. It's much more ubiquitous than we'd like to think, you know, but sometimes when I listen to client calls, like I record a lot of them and I go back and listen to them and I'm like, wow, it is amazing how much that conversation was around, you know, my client in relation to other people or in relation to expectations or this kind of thing. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's like a epidemic. Yeah. Yeah, that actually relates to what I was going to ask next about that specifically is as you've been working with clients over the years in comparisonitis and your comparisonitis course, what sorts of insights have you extracted? Maybe what sorts of lessons have you learned from working with so many disparate folks? That's a good question. Um, I don't know that there's any kind of universal lessons to take away simply because of the fact that each human being is so different, you know? And everyone's coming from a completely different background with completely different influences and completely different levels of self-worth as well, which in my mind is very different from self-esteem. Self-esteem can go up and down, but your fundamental feelings of self-worth, like I am worthy in this life, that's something that's a m- much deeper and much, you know, doesn't waver as much. And and maybe, maybe the learning is, uh, now that I'm talking it out, is that if you can help people tap back into that, if you can help them cut out all the noise and all the BS and all the, like what the rest of the world is doing and just get right back down to like that core self worth that you, you have solidified in you by the time you're, you know, five, six, seven years old. um, Then that is an incredibly powerful thing. That's an incredibly powerful thing. And if you don't have a super strong sense of self worth, then it's a whole different direction and body of work that you need to do in order to to be able to be resilient enough to achieve what you want to. Mm. 
I think that's a brilliant distinction between self-worth and self-esteem. Mm. You know, as you say, our, our self-esteem takes blows every day and, and can yeah. certainly fluctuate based on what we're engaged in. But tapping into that sense of intrinsic worth is so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super empowering. And it's something that we don't talk about very much, I don't think, you know, or don't talk about in the context of business. We, we talk about especially as females, like I have, I have a mix of male and female clients, but I have a lot of female clients, more definitely mostly females that come to talk to me about things like comparisonitis. And, um, we talk a lot about being more like a guy and like shouting how awesome you are from the rooftops because male entrepreneurs do it and they don't think twice about it. And I'm like, well, you know, but hang on, you've got to actually believe that before you can go shouting it, you know, like it's the sense of really tapping into that worth is, is, is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And um, I think when, when you start to do that sort of deeper work, that's when you, that's when the symptoms such as comparing oneself start to sort of slide off your back a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these themes that you mention and that you write about on your blog and so forth are exactly why I wanted to invite you to the show, which is really all about living authentically. The title is A Congruent Life, and our main theme is really about authenticity. So as you've had these life journeys and and travels and adventures and so forth, and then worked with so many different kinds of people, what would you say that living authentically or congruently means to you? Oh, such a good question. (laughs) Yeah, living congruently or living authentically is, it's kind of twofold for me, I think. It's about... Oh, I sounded really Canadian just there, a boot. <laughs> I catch myself every now and again. Um, <laughs> it's about, at every different stage of your life, checking in with with yourself, with it, what it is that you really want, with whether or not you're truly happy doing what you're doing. Because, you know, we all change so much over our lives, and I certainly have changed a ridiculous amount again and again and again. And and for me, someone who's lived in so many different countries for long periods of time, I almost feel as though I've lived uh, a variety of different lives, you know, like it's been like six, like I'm like a cat, you know, I got all these different lives that I've lived. And, And in each new incarnation of myself, I, there are different things that bring me peace, that bring me happiness, that help me thrive, that help me feel like I'm really living authentically and truthfully. So, so checking in with yourself, that's really the, the, the number one thing. Don't just set it and forget it. Like life is not a set it and forget it, you know, situation. And, and then the second piece to that is when something is incongruent, when something feels out of whack, you have to be courageous enough to, to change it. You have to be courageous enough to move out of your zone of comfort through some often very serious discomfort in order to move closer again to your truth and what your truth at that given stage in your life really looks like. So, yeah. And I mean, having just gone through a lot of change over the past couple of years, this feels really like in my face these days. <laughs> oh, it's tough work. Absolutely. I, I love the way that you framed that, though, about being able to get in touch with that, you know, which is hard enough for people to be able to truly admit, you know, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. But that second piece of that, that courage uh, to have the wherewithal to reinvent yourself, to step back and say, this is not working. I need to take some action. That's that's a really hard thing. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculously impossible. And 
it's well, I mean, it's not impossible, but it feels ridiculously impossible, you know. And and as someone who's reinvented myself quite severely a few times, I can say like it doesn't get any e- the the discomfort doesn't get any less. It's always ridiculously un- uncomfortable and sometimes outright painful and miserable. But what does get easier as you make those decisions and as you move back again towards an equilibrium in your life is that knowledge. Again, it's that resilience piece. It's that knowledge that I've done this before. I've done some iteration of this. I'm in so much pain and total hell right now and it's really gross and I feel a lot of uncertainty but I'm going to be totally fine on the other end and I'm going to be so much happier in the long run. Hey, you mentioned that you've been doing a lot of this, this work recently over the last couple of years and reinventing yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about that process for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in 2010, I left my corporate job, which was well overdue anyways, but then I spent a year not doing anything, which freaked everybody out around me, you know, everyone was like, what do you mean you're not going to work, how are you going to pay your mortgage? (laughs) And so, you know, like I made a choice to not work because seven years in the corporate world had completely dulled my sense of who I was. And so not knowing really who I was or what made me happy, it made no sense to me to jump into another J-O-B just to make money to survive when I actually had a little bit of savings. And I thought, okay, you know, wait a second. I have to, I have to recalibrate here, you know, I have to kind of get back to the basics. And so I started only doing things that make me happy. And I started learning things like weirdo old lady stuff, like knitting and sewing (laughs) that I had always wanted to learn how to do, you know, I'm like 32 years old in knitting class, you know, and, and doing stuff because, I needed to sort of tap back into my creative side in order to figure out what what next steps would look like. And so, you know, like that whole period of time was a series of decisions. And every month that went by, money was getting lower and lower and eventually disappeared completely. And then, you know, everyone around me was telling me I was crazy. And then then I decided to be a life coach. I decided to get certified as a life coach. And I never at any point was I certain that that was the right decision. But it was a good enough decision for what I thought that I wanted to do or what I thought would be a good skill set to have. And so then there was that, you know, and then I spent a year doing that. And then I moved to Peru, you know, with my partner at the time and our dog and left everything behind in Canada. So it's just been like a series of big, 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 big shifts. And then after 18 months in business, I completely rebranded and I scrapped the idea of life coaching and I went straight into Republic of Freedom and business strategy. And then I left Peru (laughs) and now I'm homeless. (laughs) so it's it's you know it's just been the past like three three and a half years have been a series of these sort of like big leaps towards um great like more fulfillment more aliveness more sense of uh what of of honoring what makes me live a full and rich life i love that (laughs) I, I find stories like that so inspiring where you actually were willing to sit in the discomfort and to say, I feel like my senses have been dulled from these experiences and I need to I need to wake myself back up and get in touch with what I want and being willing to go through that period of time where you didn't really know what you were going to do. Everybody's telling you you're crazy, but yet you pushed through that with a, a particular goal in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes... Often, when you don't know what you want to do, as is often the case with me, including right now, <laughs> I one thing is clear, 
and that's what I don't want to do, you know? So if you don't know what you want to do, just be very, become very, 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 very clear about what you don't want to do and doors will start to open. So you've been on some pretty amazing adventures, but I think a really interesting one is that you've recently spent quite a bit of time in Antarctica. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? How did that happen and and what were you doing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's an interesting side story, actually, to the whole concept of running an online business. But what I was doing is I was working on an expedition ship. And for those who aren't familiar with the expedition industry, um, a lot of people, a lot of tourists like to visit Antarctica every year. Now, of course, there's nothing in Antarctica other than some research stations and, well, I mean, beautiful nature and icebergs and things like that. But in terms of humans, there's nothing much there. So when you go on an expedition ship with a bunch of tourists that paid lots and lots and lots of money to go there, you sail down from the tip of South America across the Drake Passage, which takes two days, and you arrive at the land of Antarctica. And then you sail alongside, and in this case, the Antarctic Peninsula, which kind of sticks out from the mainland, and you live on the ship, you know, like you sleep on the ship and live on the ship. It's like kind of like a floating hotel, but very rustic expedition style. And every day you wake up and you get in Zodiacs, which are big inflatable rubber boats with motors and you drive to land and you go and walk through or walk past penguin colonies. You see seals, you drive past Zodiacs and you watch whales and just do all kinds of really cool wildlifey like adventure stuff. And so uh, normally, you know, this industry is extremely small. There's only a few dozen ships that even go to Antarctica with any kind of passengers on them. And the people who work on those ships are an even smaller amount of people, and it's quite competitive to get in. So I was really, really fortunate because I happened to know someone who I met on an expedition down the Amazon River in 2005. And he was an expedition staff at the time. I was a passenger. And, uh, he and I just kept in touch as friends after that. And out of the blue, last year, he called me up and said, my company, which is an Antarctic travel company, is looking for someone who has your skill set. We want someone who has the people skills, who is a life coach, who's kind of always like looking on the positive side of things to come and work on the ship as a, you know, like an expedition staff member doing all the rough and tumble stuff, driving the Zodiacs, like, you know, digging through the snow to make passages for the passengers and things like that. But that can also be on board, solving problems, keeping people happy, da, 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 whatever. And, uh, of course, knowing how competitive the industry was, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> so I pretty much immediately accepted. And then I went into sort of prep mode with my business and let all of my clients know, look, I'm going to be away for a huge chunk of time next winter and you know you're you can work with me beforehand or you can work with me after but I'm not going to be around from November to March and everyone was like you know of course a lot of people said to me like what do you mean you're just not going to run your business for four months like it's going to fall apart you're going to lose all your clients and it was quite the opposite in fact that happened people were like that's awesome you're doing what I wish I could do you know and so it kind of added to the whole walking the talk thing you know which I think I think I do that pretty well like I'm an adventurous person I travel all the time and I'm not a slave to my business and I like to be able to show people like in this scenario of going and working in Antarctica because I want to because I love it because I love adventure um you know doing that and showing people that you can do it too like it's it's all of this is entirely possible and it doesn't mean that the world is going to fall apart or your business is going to fail in your absence you know it's just yeah think it'd be be strategic and 
share with the world what you're doing because it's exciting for them too. I love that. I love the walking the talk piece of that. But then also your reflections at the end there where it's like, you know what? The business is supporting my life. And look, here's an example of how it's supporting my life and how my business is not going to fall apart just because I'm going off and doing what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Andy, I'll tell you this. I met some of the coolest freaking people on that ship, like both my coworkers. I mean, these people are like the most accomplished adventure people you can imagine i mean i was on the last few trips i was sailing with the guy who freed willie like the whale that was in the movie when they reintroduced her to the wild in iceland he was the guy who was the lead on that project he's a marine biologist and so you know like i sit at the bar in the evening with him and just be like tell me everything (laughs) you know And, and it's amazing like i just get to meet these really really cool people with these rich experiences and then of course we had passengers who are of all walks of life, but also very adventurous people because they're going to visit Antarctica that I'd get into conversations with. And I never really promoted my business on board because that's not why I was there. Um, But people would always ask me, what do you do when you're not on the ship? And I would tell them. And like the connections and networking that happened just because I was going and doing something that I loved was like infinitely more valuable than any conference I've ever been to even. So at the top of our conversation, you said that one of your most valued values so one of your chief values is service what sort of legacy do you want to to leave what what do you envision your impact on the world being i'm not i'm not the best big picture thinker i have to say when it comes to myself i'm sort of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of person but i would have to say that it's it's that really simple sentiment and i don't know who said this i think it was like eleanor roosevelt or something like that said you know people don't remember what you said or what you did they remember how how you made them feel and for me uh i don't really care to be honest like what my work looks like at any given time or how the work that i do impacts people per se but at any point if i died tomorrow if i died in 20 years i would want my legacy to be that that people would speak of me as though I, I like uh, about the way that I made them feel is what I'm trying to say. You know, like I, I'm not just that I made them feel nice or good about themselves, but that I made them feel that anything is possible. Like I really helped them believe that, you know, like a really, my, my presence and whatever it is that whatever contribution I made, it inspired the crap out of them to ask for more of life. How can our listeners engage with you, Heather? Well, they can head to my website at www.heatherthorkelson.com. That's where the Republic of Freedom lives. Um, And they can also find me on Twitter at Rep of Freedom. And I'm also on Facebook. I actually don't use my business page very much. So I'd prefer it if you just find me and friend me and then we can hang out there. And I post lots of pictures and stories of travel and whatnot over there as well. Very cool. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Yeah, you know. It's very easy to tell yourself that by not rocking the boat and by listening to uh, air quotes good sense of the people around you is is what's going to lead to a really good life. But I can tell you from my own experience and from seeing other people do it, when you really tap into what lights you up and you pursue that relentlessly, no matter what anyone says, that's how you light up the rest of the world. That's how you inspire others to to do the same. And that's that's what is going to leave you just thrilled with the way your life turned out when it all comes to an end. 
Awesome. That's a great place to uh, wrap things up, I would say. So Heather Thorkelson, thanks so much for the inspiring example that you are and the stories that you're sharing. And thanks so much for taking this time to talk with us on A Congruent Life. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Heather Thorkelson. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 50 or acongruentlife.net slash Thorkelson, which is spelled T-H-O-R-K-E-L-S-O-N. Thanks to Marie at Today's Leading Women, who left a five-star review for the show, appreciating that it touches on the other side of being an entrepreneur. I hope that today's conversation with Heather did the same, talking about allowing our businesses to support our lives rather than the other way around. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate you spending the time with these episodes. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.